Welcome to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. My name is Fergal Byrne. Every week, I talk to inspiring social entrepreneurs and changemakers dedicated to building a better world. Here, they tell their stories, the highs and the lows, and share what they have learned to help other social entrepreneurs and changemakers on their journey. What really became useful for us was when we realized that one could start thinking about impact as the analog of profit and the cost of impact as the analog of return on investment. We don't see an idea really being taken to scale in this sector unless there's somebody really obsessed with doing it. And that's what social entrepreneurs really do. They build an organization around developing, evolving, and delivering an idea. They're generally focused on taking it to scale to a much bigger degree than previous generations of people working in the social sector. They are about using the principles of business to deliver impact in the most efficient way possible. It's a great privilege today to speak to Kevin Starr. Kevin directs the Malago Foundation, which invests in charities and philanthropic opportunities that have the highest possible impact. Indeed, the foundation has a single-minded focus on impact, how to design to achieve impact, how to measure it, invest in it, and take it to scale. In 2003, Kevin established the Reiner Arnhold Fellows Program to apply Malago's principles to help social entrepreneurs turn good ideas into lasting change at scale. Kevin mentors and teaches fellows in numerous other programs for social entrepreneurs. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak to inspiring social entrepreneurs today. Kevin, a good place to start would be to tell us a little bit about your journey to become a social entrepreneur. Well, in all fairness, um, I suppose I'm a social entrepreneur, but I'm more an investor in social entrepreneurs, which is a different, uh, different place to be in this whole ecology. We have established and evolved a foundation that works a lot like a venture capital firm might. So in that sense, we've been entrepreneurial, but um, compared to the people we fund, I'm not sure that it's fair to put us in their league. What about your journey? Um, you, you're a doctor. You you didn't set out to become an investor and support financially uh, social entrepreneurs. How did that happen? No, I didn't. Well, I first... Um, I first worked in the kind of settings where we fund, i.e. settings of poverty in the, in the poorest countries. When I was 19, and I went to work with uh, Cambodian refugees in Thailand, and I came back from that experience thinking I was going to be a sort of a doctors without borders kind of doctor working in crisis settings. And once in medical school, I got really interested in prevention and public health. While I was in school, I started a health education project in the mountains of Peru. And in doing so, I came to develop a mentor, a guy named Reiner Arnhold, who'd worked in every major humanitarian crisis of the 60s and 70s. And we became quite close. He became a really important teacher for me. And he died suddenly while we were working together in Bolivia in 1993. And in the aftermath of that, I got to know his family, and it turned out that they had been bankers for generations, and that he had left a, a substantial sum, which was really surprising because he was not the kind of guy you would ever imagine had a big bank account. <laughs> so the family wanted to start a foundation to, to carry on his work um, in some way, and so they asked me to help. And uh, over the years, I got more and more interested in this question of how do you squeeze the maximum amount of real impact, lasting change, 
out of a given amount of philanthropic money? And it turns out that's a really interesting question and one that you can iterate on forever. <laughs> um, and so uh, what really became useful for us was when we realized that one could start thinking about impact as the analog of profit and the cost of impact as the analog of return on investment. And in doing so, we really became aligned with our board, which was uh, composed mostly of bankers. And we really evolved our current methodology of looking for philanthropic money in them, looking for the maximum impact that we can get. Is this venture philanthropy, or how does it differ? I never could quite figure out what venture philanthropy was. So what we do is is to put money into great organizations. We don't take proposals. We um, approach organizations that we learn about through our network that's been really evolving and building over many years. And we provide them with unrestricted funding only, which is kind of an odd sentence, but we don't do any kind of project funding or put restrictions on how the money should be spent. We find organizations that we think are great, who we would trust to make the best decisions about how they spend money, and we provide it. And we stay with organizations as long as we're starting to see this the kind of progress toward exponential growth that we're looking for. And that is exponential growth and impact, not necessarily in the organization itself. Unlike maybe mainstream, your average funder, I think we will stay with people for for a lot longer and we'll try to leverage their funding with other funders in our circle. Right. What distinctive role do you see for social entrepreneurship? I mean, we've had the nonprofit sector for a long time. What is it that you think that the social entrepreneurship can do distinctively? Well, there's a lot of fuss made about innovation in social entrepreneurs, and that actually is a great function. But a big problem in the social sector is that innovation is not really taken forward. And this is what social entrepreneurs can do. We don't see an idea really being taken to scale in this sector unless there's somebody really obsessed with doing it. And that's what social entrepreneurs really do. They build an organization around developing, evolving, and delivering an idea. They're generally focused on taking it to scale to a much bigger degree than previous generations of people working in the social sector. They are about using the principles of business to deliver impact in the most efficient way possible and following some of the same principles of growth that grows businesses. Why do you think that has particular potential? I'd be interested to get your sense of why that's important. Well, you know, for years, I, I paid little attention to business. I was, a, I was a physician. I was interested in, I was learning about public health sector. I was, business was really off my radar. And then as I got more and more interested in how one takes impact to scale, it really becomes a lot about knowing how to get stuff done. And it turned out there's this whole world where they're extremely good at getting stuff done in a very systematic way, and that's, of course, business. And that's when I first started to get interested in taking a business-like approach to creating impact. And that, of course, leads you to, uh, especially where I live in the in the San Francisco Bay Area, that takes you toward entrepreneurism. And in fact, I didn't know what social entrepreneurs were when I first started getting involved with them. I just knew that there was this, increasingly, I was seeing these people with good ideas who 
we're taking a very business-like approach to applying them and iterating on them and growing a business that could really start to uh, take their idea to scale. The question of profit is is an interesting one as well. And it's talking to social entrepreneurs, it does seem that not to be too schematic, but social entrepreneurs can fall into two camps. And there seems to be some uneasiness sometimes about the idea of profit. What's the right way to look at the role of profit in a social enterprise? Where I've gotten to is that organizations in the social sector, organizations trying to solve social problems, um, we look at them all as businesses that are maximizing impact while losing the least amount of money possible. And so it may turn out we, we are completely agnostic as to whether the things we fund are for profit or not for profit. If they're in the social sector, they should be focused on maximizing impact and that the impact model should lead and the business model should follow. Now, it turns out that there are some things where a solution applied in a business-like way can actually end up in the black. And in the mission that we have, which is focused on the basic needs of the very poor, it just turns out that our portfolio will probably never be more than 10 to 15% for profit because there's just not that many ways to make money off of, say, saving the lives of kids under five, getting people vaccinated, even um, achieving basic education or basic home lighting. Moving on to the, the question of impact, and I know that's been something that you've given a lot of thought to. Why is it so important, this question of impact? And where would you say the sector is generally with respect to that? Obviously, companies are becoming more aware, social entrepreneurs are becoming more aware about impact. Some organizations are becoming more sophisticated. Where would you say the sector is generally? Um, well, in answer to your first question, why is it so important, is that without it, there's really no point to any of what we're doing. And I think that I get the sense of people more understanding this analogy between profit and impact. In other words, if you're a business and you don't know if you're making any profit, you have no idea um, if you're succeeding and you have no idea how to get better at what you do. And the analog is very much true. If you're if you're in the social sector and you're not measuring your impact, you have no idea if you're accomplishing anything and you have no idea how to really get better at uh, doing it. I think that more and more uh, funders are starting to see, are starting to uh, demand to know if their uh, investments, philanthropic or otherwise, are accomplishing anything. And the, some of the big funders have really led the charge like Gates in a way that I think is really healthy. And we're just starting to see a slow, very slow evolution toward more of a market for impact. Until we have a market for impact, we're, we're going to be um, completely stymied in our efforts to make the social sector an effective vehicle for change. What would a market for impact look like? A market for impact would look would channel money most efficiently would channel money efficiently toward those organizations most likely most able to create impact, just like an efficient capital market channels money investment toward those companies those firms most likely to generate profit at present impact is not a does not create philanthropic capital. 
it doesn't efficiently drive money toward your organization. If we did have a market for impact, that would not be the case. And you would, if you had impact, you would you would attract capital just like a profitable new business in Silicon Valley attracts capital. Clearly, it's it can be complex to to measure impact. Oh and yeah, let, let me go back to that. People have tried to create cross sectoral uh, measures of impact, and it's it's really important for us to simply understand the mission of an organization and understand whether that aligns with ours. And if it does, what we want to know is whether they are measuring something that really captures whether they're fulfilling that mission. And so we simply want to evaluate each organization that we get involved with on their own terms to see if they're succeeding in the mission that that they have articulated, and then we need to take the results and put them into context. In other words, if you've got two organizations working on on uh, smallholder agriculture, you might want to measure changes in income in uh, with both of those organizations. But one might be working in a much tougher place with a much more difficult population. You know, for example, working with the smartest uh and wealthiest of the poor farmers is much more difficult than working with those who are deeper down in poverty. And you can't expect the same return on your philanthropic investment in terms of dollars. So we really want to look at what population are you really trying to serve and put the in the in what kind of setting and put the results into context to understand whether this is a, a good investment or not. Is there a danger where certain kinds of projects may get neglected because they may not be able to demonstrate significant impact variables? We believe pretty strongly that if you can't show your impact, you shouldn't get any more money. It would be, once again, I draw the analogy. If you were a company and you said, well, we're sure we have a great product and we really believe deeply in our product and we think it's a product everybody ought to have and it'll make their lives better, but they can't actually demonstrate that they can make a profit doing it, then they're going to go out of business. We kind of feel the same about uh, social sector organizations. If they can't demonstrate clearly that they've had an impact, then they probably should go out of business. It's not equally easy to measure impact across different kinds of sectors and problems. And if that's the case, then clearly there's some areas that it's easier to measure and show impact on others where it's more complex, more challenging? Or is that not the case? And I'm just wondering, if that is the case, does that mean there's the possibility of social organizations migrating towards the place where the funds are, which is looking at those problems which are easiest or where most work has been done in terms of measuring impact? That would be great because it would be a lot more efficient than what we currently have now. And, you know, we find that there's... Rarely that there's a clear thinking, coherent organization that can't find something to measure that usefully reflects their impact or not. Yeah. Often when you look closely at, at an organization that would say they couldn't measure their impact, either in fact they could or what they're doing is so incoherent that it just, you'll never be able to find anything. But um, that probably indicates that they don't really have that great a solution. Looking at the world of business, and if you want to uh, set up a technology company in Silicon Valley tomorrow, there seems to be, you know, there's the lean startup. There's a lot of frameworks, a lot of 
a lot of thinking has gone into different systems and approaches and insights into building high-tech organizations. It doesn't seem to be the case that there has been as much thinking and frameworks around the social entrepreneurship area. Clearly, it's a, it's a much younger area. And also, I mentioned the whole question of transfer of expertise or transfer of learning in terms of when you know, there are many organizations in the water, working in water, for example, and how effective are organizations at transferring the insights and learnings they've had on their journey to catalyze and leverage growth? To your first question, um, there's more and more uh, crossover between mainstream entrepreneurship and social entrepreneurship. And a lot of, we're seeing a lot of great people and great work coming out of some of the major business schools. And more and more that is has been a great source of in our pipeline of new solutions and new leaders. But the the problem with dissemination of ideas in the sector is is pretty stark. And it once again it goes back is a pretty stark problem and it goes back to this the fact that we don't have this reality that we don't really have an effective market for impact. So if you're in Silicon Valley and you have a great idea, you need to protect it from me because I'll steal it so I can make money too. And so we have a very complicated uh, intellectual property laws and and a system to enforce them that, that prevents that from happening. In the social sector, I can have a great idea and I can put it out there and nobody will pick it up because there isn't the same kind of dynamics to say, I'm desperate for impact, I'll steal your idea and get more impact if I can. The market, it just doesn't have the same dynamic. So there's a lot of great ideas out there that aren't going anywhere because nobody's picked them up. So once again, you, you almost always have to have an organization built around an idea for it to really go forward because... There's too many great ideas that um, were proven, were developed, proven in a successful pilot, and then languished because nobody picked them up. You're a great optimist, <laughs> and clearly there's significant progress and steps in terms of impact measurement and what you're saying in terms of crossover from business into social uh, organizations. Um, do you see this happening? This, this. Um, do you think it's important to this? cross-emination transfer of ideas and are you optimistic that's what needs to happen oh yeah i mean there's more and more people uh from the world of business entering the social sector there's more and more people from business schools entering the social sector and there's more and more mixing between these two worlds that used to be oil and water i think it's a really fertile time we're seeing more and more a really encouraging trend that I'm seeing, and it's slow to start, but it's organizations that whose innovation is to pick up an existing idea and scale it up very effectively. So an example is a group that, that we're working with now called Strong Minds, and it was started by a guy who was working with a very effective organization called Vision Spring, and he was a senior executive there. Um, And he got very interested in the problem of mental illness, specifically depression and post-traumatic stress disorder in um, developing countries and where where there really isn't any mental health care to speak of. And it turns out that there is a group therapy model developed in Africa um, and proven effective with 
rape victims in the Congo. And it's a very inexpensive model that involves groups forming and meeting weekly with a inexpensive uh, trained lay facilitator. It's an idea that was, was well-proven, it's cost-effective, and this guy, Sean Mayberry, has just started up an organization to take somebody else's proven solution and scale it up in a very innovative way that we think has a lot of promise to go big. It's not going to be a for-profit. It's going to be a very effective, not-for-profit, run in a very efficient business-like way. And we hope this is the model for more, and we think it, it might well be as donors get really interested in impact and innovative ways, creative ways to take proven solutions to scale. What have you learned about what makes a successful social enterprise? Uh, throwing this in at the end of the conversation, just a, a, obviously uh, it's a big topic. Are there a few key things that you think help uh, social entrepreneurs build an impactful social organization? Well, first of all, you need a scalable idea. And no idea is, has got it right, right out of the starting gate. But you need an idea that's fundamentally scalable, which means that it is cost effective. So it either makes money or, or is uh, cheap enough to otherwise scale up. It needs to be replicable, meaning that it's uh, simple, systematic, broadly adaptable enough that um, it can be done in a lot of different settings and by by um, different kinds of organizations. And finally, it needs to understand, it needs to be designed for a specific route to scale, either the market or governments or replication by a lot of other organizations. And if you've got that, the organizations that succeed are really good at iterating and continually evolving. And the leadership of those organizations, of successful organizations, is characterized by their ability and uh, to do that and to constantly be able to pivot in the face of new information. And the organizations that, again, are run in a business-like way that know how to hire and fire, that is, that is a critical skill, um, and are able to fundraise, which is, which is um, more than simply going around asking for money. It's really about creating excitement about what you do and being able to build support for what you do and tap what's out there. You touched on this, the topic of finance, clearly. And how would you characterize the environment today for a social entrepreneur looking for finance with a good idea? There is not yet enough money, um, seed money for new ideas. But interestingly, there's more of that than there is whatever you would characterize as the next stage of money. In other words, a lot of people are getting early stage, uh, early seed funding, sort of angel investor funding, both in the for-profit or not-for-profit um, arena. And so they get something going, and then there's not a great ecosystem to provide the next stage of funding. And at every stage, it's actually quite inefficient. And increasingly, there's a lot of people who, a lot of funding available for ideas that are, for organizations that really are scaling up, um, getting over a million dollar budget per year. Then you can really begin to attract attention and more capital. 
the path between very early seed funding and that stage is often perilous. Clearly, this development of the impact market, as you talk about, the more granular the information and insight into the impact clearly uh, will help. What keeps you going? What inspires you when things are difficult, when projects are not meeting uh, expectations, uh, but as a social financier, as a social entrepreneur, if you like? Well, these are the most inspiring people uh, to work with, and by and large, we're seeing a lot of progress. And, you know, in a world where most of us just hear about bad news all the time, getting to work with those who are really making a difference uh, and feeling like you're part of something that is making a difference, however gradual and incremental, uh, that's really heartening. And so you expect a lot of ups and downs in this and trying to figure out what to do when you're, uh, when you hit an obstacle is, is actually really fun and interesting. And these are the greatest people, it's the greatest people in the world to work with. And the people who are their beneficiaries are wonderful population to work with. And you feel like you're part of something bigger that's, um, in aggregate going to make a real difference. And what advice would you give an aspiring social entrepreneur? Clearly, thinking about scalability, thinking about impact, resilience is terribly important. What do you say to social entrepreneurs at the early stage, not yet clear whether they're dreaming or they're an illusion that there's really something here? I talk to people who've spent a considerable time before they get a model that makes sense and over that time they're not sure whether this is feasible whether or not they're this is ever going to happen and yet they keep going some may not make see the light of day what would you say well it's it's really all about a tenacious uh, a balance between tenaciousness and openness in other words you've got to keep trying and it's going to be uh you're gonna you're gonna have to uh override a lot of naysayers often while keeping your eyes open and being willing to change course in the face of new information and constantly be able to cut loose the things that aren't working and move toward the things that are. I love it that that, um, William Faulkner called editing his own work, killing my own little babies. (laughs) And, that's kind of what a social entrepreneur has to constantly be doing, stripping the things that don't work away, paying attention to what does, and constantly iterating while forging ahead in a way that is might sometimes seem bullheaded. And it's actually kind of a delicate balance. It's an old chestnut, you know, whether entrepreneurs are born or made. What would you say to that question when it comes to social entrepreneurs? Well, this is a bit of a waffle, but like everything else in that kind of debate, it's about half and half. There are some people who um, take to the role like uh, ducks to water, and then there's others who really have to struggle with aspects of it. And a big part of what we're learning is it's, it's really more about a team than an individual. It's rare to have an individual who has all the characteristics of a successful social entrepreneur, you know. They... They have to have a great idea. They have to be able to iterate on that idea. They have to be able to hire and fire and build an organization. They have to be able to raise money and attract support. 
that's a lot to ask of one person. And so we're finding that entrepreneurial teams are as important as entrepreneurial individuals. And um, each can make up for the flaws and leverage the assets of, of the others. And um, that's what really makes a difference in the end, in most cases. Yeah, I was th- thinking recently, I don't know whether it's true or not, but that there doesn't seem to be any, well, maybe less prizes for entrepreneurial teams. <laughs> there are lots of social entrepreneurial fellows and, and awards, but I don't know how many there are for teams, but it's interesting insight into the way it's developing and the challenges that need, you know, multiple skills and perspectives. And I guess as a last question, which doesn't flow from anything else we've discussed, but I was interested in what, what would you say you've learned in the last few years that has surprised you? Something that counterintuitive, disproved an idea you already had or genuinely found surprising about social entrepreneurship? Well, you know, it relates to that last. It's um, I've gotten caught up in the idea of the social entrepreneur and the sort of single person who led others, led a team, led an uh, an organization was the final arbiter and decision maker, um, and it is this uh, it is this notion that it's almost always essential to have a team working together, and that a horizontal leadership can work really well, especially in the early stages of the organization. Um, that often leads to a point where there has to be more of a vertical hierarchy for efficiency's sake, but that it's okay to start with a group of people making decisions together, probably for the best in most cases. Thank you. It's been very interesting, and I wish you the very best with Malago and your many other endeavors. Thank you for taking the time to speak to inspiring social entrepreneurs today. Thank you. It's been really fun. Thank you for listening to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneur Podcast. I hope you found this interview inspiring. Please make sure to visit www.inspiringsocialentrepreneurs.com and subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future podcasts.